now that we've kind of gotten a bridge, a version of the sermon, hear these words with me from the Gospel of Luke. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of the word. Let us pray. O Lord, as we come to this time of hearing your preached word, we pray that you give us eyes to see anew, ears to hear afresh, a heart to be warmed, and a spirit to be transformed, so that we may not leave this place ever the same. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What does it mean to be made well? We, of course, hear Jesus' thoughts on this question, but I want you to think about this same question throughout the midst of the sermon. We hear quite often wishes to get well soon if we are sick or recovering from surgeries or anything that has us feeling not fully ourselves. But as far as I know, I don't know of any Hallmark cards wishing someone to be made well. Although, in light of our text this morning and the words of Jesus, perhaps there's a little money to be made in wishing someone made well. But not for the reason that we normally think. And so allow me just for a few moments to talk about what the Samaritan did and the answer to this question, what does it mean to be made well? As we enter into our text this morning, we find ourselves walking along the road to Jerusalem with Jesus. And along the way, we find ourselves on the boundary between Samaria and Galilee, between the land of the chosen children of divine and the land of the perceived enemy. And along this border, we find a little tiny village. And even closer, as we zoom in, we find a small band of 10 lepers. Now these lepers, they knew who Jesus was, or at least they had an idea in their mind from the stories that they heard. They had overheard about this healer being in the area 
And I imagine that they were certainly hoping to be healed themselves if he passed through their village. For certain, we know that there was a mix of Galileans and Samaritans in the crowd, given the physical location of our text. Yet all of them were aware of their social location. As one suffering from leprosy, they could only come so close to the rabbinical leaders and teachers, according to the Jewish customs. They could only come so close to those who have the ability to intercede on behalf of the divine. In terms of the social and societal norms of the day, lepers were seen as outcasts from the whole of society, belonging in the community all to themselves. And so as Jesus walks through the village, they could only call out to Jesus from a distance. Jesus, Master! As Jesus walked past, the cries became louder and more pronounced. Jesus! Jesus, have pity on us! And surely after two or three of these cries, Jesus turns his head, wondering where the voice, the voices are coming from. And it is in turning his head, he sees the lepers. And the choir of lepers repeat their cry once more. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. It is once Jesus hears their cries and sees them that the healing narrative begins. You know, I imagine in their minds they may have thought of this Jesus coming and breaking all the societal norms, breaking what they have normally understood teachers and rabbinical leaders to do. They imagine possibly Jesus coming and touching them, healing them in no ways that they ever had been touched before. Yet Jesus tells the ten to simply go and see the priests. Wait, that's it? That's all we had to do? Certainly these lepers had gone to the priest previously, despite knowing that a priest could not physically touch them lest they themselves become ritually unclean. And certainly in their minds, they had this picture of Jesus coming and touching them, cleansing them and making them whole. So this command by Jesus to simply go and see the priests certainly would have come as a great and startling surprise. But they do go, and Jesus says, and something amazing happens. One by one, they go and show themselves to the priests, and one by one, they are cleansed of their leprosy. I imagine in my mind, each of the lepers, this tight-knit community longing to be healed, watching one after another go show themselves to the priests and then turn around walking and healing 
they themselves, as they watched this community that they had known for so long, each one celebrating at the restoration of another, and they themselves standing in anticipation of their own cleansing. And all ten, without Jesus having to say or mention anything of the sort, have been cleansed. They are healed and they are brought back into right relationship with society. And they all lived happily ever after. The end. Wait, that's, that's not how the story ends? It's in verse 16 where the story flips us onto our heads. All ten have successfully gone and been cleansed that they have showed themselves to the priests. Ten have been healed, but one recognizes it and sees it. There was one who just couldn't go back to reimmersing himself into the Samaritan society without thanking the traveling healer. And so, as the text tells us, one comes back exuberant in praise and thanksgiving to God for restoration. And this one that comes back to give thanks to Jesus was a Samaritan. You know, the one, the supposed enemy of the Jews in the minds and the perceptions of the latter. And so Jesus looks around probably waiting for a little bit to make time for the stragglers to come in, surely thinking the same inquiry as we may have all had, and similar to what Jesus is thinking. Wait, weren't there 10 that I sent to be cleansed? Weren't there 10 that were part of this group? Where are the other nine? Do they just go back to their regular lives now that they have been made clean? Do they not think to praise God that they were no longer outcasts, alienated from their communities and their families? Where are the other nine? And why is it that the Samaritan, the supposed enemy, has enough insight and moral standing to say thanks? Where are the Galileans, the ones who know what they should do? Where are the other Samaritans in this group, for that matter? Should they not also have lips of praise like the one who has returned? Of course, we found a similar inquiry with the story of the Good Samaritan, but why is it that Jesus is trying to tell the Jews who have ears to hear that they too know what is the right response. The ending of our text this morning comes in verse 19 with the words of Jesus. And I believe there is a second healing that takes place in our story. Perhaps the answer to the question that Jesus poses in the verse before. Jesus tells the Samaritan, that his faith has made him well. Yes, the others have gone about their way, but their faith is still an issue at hand, 
Their faith has not been made clean. And so while clean on the outside, their belief systems and structures are not properly recalibrated. Yet this one Samaritan, his faith has made him well. And so Jesus tells him to go. Reimburse yourself in society because you will live a life far different than the other nine who simply went about their way as they were cleansed. So what are we to take from this miracle story? I believe the tagline in most of our Bibles of 10 men being healed by Jesus doesn't really tell us the full story about this text. Yes, I believe that 10 men were cleansed or made clean. We heard that in the text this morning, but only one, I think, was actually healed. Only one was made well, and I believe that there is a difference between being clean and being made well. And I also believe that one cannot truly be made clean if they are not made well. And so what's the difference? To be cleansed, one simply goes to the altar, one goes to the priest, one goes to the medical professions, and that's that. There is a defined beginning of the process, a noticeable healing in the middle of the process that takes place, and there is a finite end. But to be made well, that requires one recognizing that it's not just a one-time process, but a daily task of becoming better and better until one is fully restored. Being made well is a process of active action, an action that has a defined starting point, but there is no finite end. Being made well is a commitment that holds us accountable to keep us in a position and posture of gratitude and thankfulness. We can be as clean on the outside as we possibly can. We can make ourselves as handsome or as beautiful on the outside with our appearance. But if our faith does not change, if our hearts do not change, then our bodies are only concealing the deep, dark truths. If our skin is clean, but our insides are not, then what is inside of us will eat us alive and we will become unclean all over again, no matter how beautiful of a mask we put on. Each day, I believe, is a new recognition that life, yes, life might get a little dirty, but we are still being made. We are still being shaped, still being molded and crafted into someone who exhibits and embodies great faith. We are still being made well.
And as we continue to grow deeper in our faiths, continually being made, let us continue to come back, giving thanks to God. That is, it is God who tells us to go. Your faith has made you well. And so as I take my seat, may we continue to grow deeper, recognizing those spots in our lives that we may have missed. May we recognize that we do not need to be just clean, but cleansed. Mm -hmm. And may we be the one, like the one in the 10, who comes back giving thanks to God forever and always. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we give you thanks for hearing your preached word. We pray that you shape our lives and challenge our hearts that we may see ourselves as continually being made, continually being shaped, and continually being molded in our faith. Help us to be made well, O oh Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.